0: Communion always throws me a little off here. All right. So how many of you are ready for a vacation somewhere warm? I know, right? Who's praying for all the snow? Oh, that was me. (laughs) But I am ready to go somewhere warm. But if you don't know, Jackie and I, uh, before COVID, we loved to go on cruises right about this time of year, um, you know, on Facebook and, and, you know, our, our photos back up to Amazon Photos. And, you know, we get the reminders on our phones every day of like, remember this from four years ago? And I'm like, I know, Facebook, I know. Four years ago, I was on a boat somewhere warm. I get it. I know it's nine degrees right now. Uh, but we love to go on cruises. It was one of uh, our favorite vacations, especially like right now when winters you 're like okay i 'm done with winter i 'm ready to move on from here because you know the groundhog 's always going to say whatever he 's going to say, and no one cares anyhow because uh, we all know winter is never going to end. Uh, especially with all the ice and the snow and all of this. But we, we always thought cruise ships were a really nice way to vacation. Uh, even with this, uh, we, you know, we would always book the utility closet room that you, know, you, like you had to sleep standing up because um, it was so small. But it, even, even given that, it was such a comfortable and relaxing vacation. Can you imagine, if, if you've never been on a cruise, uh, but even if you have, if you, if you had a cruise booked, and it was like it was. You woke up this morning, and it was like three degrees, and you drove to get on the cruise ship, and uh, as you were checking into the cruise ship, they told you they weren't able to get you on that cruise ship, but there was a Navy battleship that had a mission to the same place that you were supposed to go on your cruise, uh, and they could get you there in that ship. How many of you would be excited about that? I'm guessing... uh, Yeah a couple of you guys are like, that would be awesome. I'm guessing though, your vacation would be very different, just a little different, especially if they said for you to go on that battleship, you would have to serve as one of the crew on your journey to your destination. I'm guessing that every crew member on that battleship wouldn't be ready and willing to make your every wish come true. I'm guessing. Any of you actually ever served on a battleship? I I don't know if we had any Navy battleship people here. No? Okay. Uh, I'm imagining what I'm saying is true. I'm I'm fairly certain that, you know, on a cruise ship, they don't live to serve uh, your every whim and need. The food would probably not be lobster tails and filet mignon, uh I've not heard a whole lot of stories from battleships, but uh, I don't think that is the fare for the day. You probably wouldn't be sleeping in every morning and doing a lot of lounging by the pool. Uh, I don't think they have one of those on the cruise ship. Uh, Cruise ships and battleships are very different vessels because they exist for very different purposes. A cruise ship exists for pleasure and relaxation it doesn't move with urgency. If you've ever been on a cruise ship, especially during the day, it just kind of meanders through the water. They don't want to make the, the ride too rough for you, so they, they cruise at a very low speed during the day so that you know nobody gets jostled around and everything's really comfortable. All of the crew are there to make your journey as comfortable and relaxing as possible by serving you. They're, they're always so ready to serve. And, man, I have seen some people just act like fools on a cruise ship and just demand their way, and they're so nice and they're so courteous and they will, they will bend as much as they possibly can to, to meet the needs of even really, really rude people. A battleship exists to transport people on a mission and achieve, and achieve objectives. It moves with intentionality and missional urgency. All the crew are there to accomplish the mission and serve the country they're sent from, to, to serve whoever sent them. And they all accept that it's probably not going to be the most comfortable trip of their life, and they probably won't see all of their needs and preferences catered to by everybody around them. Is your view of church, of of God's call on your life, more that of a cruise ship or a battleship? Do we view what God calls the church as a cruise ship or a battleship? Do you accept that you are on mission and here to serve the, the, that entity which sent you? That would be God. We are sent by heaven, by God Himself. Or do you feel the church and all employed there exists to make your journey to heaven as comfortable and relaxing as possible? Is your life one of intentionality and missional urgency? I heard uh, uh someone talk on this uh, before, and it, it really struck a chord with me as I heard them talk about the difference between the, you know the church being a battleship or a cruise ship and and how so Many churchgoers view it more as a cruise ship. They go there to consume. They go there to receive. Uh, they go to be served and to get what they want. And if they walk away not getting what they want, they get upset. I mean, and honestly, you know, Jackie and I, we, uh, we, we, you know, we get the absolute dirt cheapest room that they have. But even still, it's, it's money that we're spending. And if we aren't getting what we want on the cruise ship, like we're, we're a little upset. You know, if the pillows are uncomfy or the bed's lumpy, you know, we're not happy about that. And so many are, yeah, so many Christians, churchgoers, they view church in this way. Not as, hey, we're on mission together. If you've ever served with, uh, I know a handful of you have served in the military. Uh, and when you're on mission, when you're uh, going to, to accomplish something, to do something, your preferences really aren't important. Uh, any of you ever eaten an MRE? Yeah, best cuisine ever, Right? That's what you'd whip out for like the romantic date night with your spouse. You know, hey, I've got MREs. Uh, no, probably not because it's not about your preferences. What are MREs meant for? To give you the sustenance that you need to continue on your mission. That's all, that's all they really care about. There might be a little bit of spice or flavor thrown in there, but I've eaten a handful of those things, and they don't really care if they taste good. Uh, but it's all about the mission. It's all about what they're there to accomplish. Christians are people on mission, and I I word that very carefully. We're not supposed to be people on mission. It's not we should be. We are. To accept Christ as our Savior is to accept the mission God has for us. The Bible says that we were sent to uh, to take the message of reconciliation to the world. That's why we exist now. It, unless, unless you are no longer alive, which I'm assuming if you're listening, you're you're there, you're alive. If you're still, you still have life in you. There's still a mission to be done. Some of us have checked out. We've said, "Oh, well, you know what? I accomplished something some years ago, and, and I'm good. I'm good to go. I I, I, don't, I don't, I'm not really in on mission anymore. I'm retired from mission, and I don't know where we get that idea. Some of you say, "Well, I'm not really equipped yet. I, I don't have all the training necessary." Uh, some of you have been in the military. Um, Did you always feel like you had all the absolute most training that you needed that engaging in whatever you were? Like, oh yeah, I've got all the skills I need. I've never felt inadequate. No, it happens. We're still on mission. Whether we feel completely adequately trained or not, we're on mission. Most Christians could probably, and maybe not word for word, but we could quote the general mission of the church. And we find that in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. We've talked about this before, and and though the English betrays us, because this wasn't written in English, if you didn't know, Jesus didn't speak English. Uh, uh, This was written in Greek, uh, and in the Greek, um, the way they they, they do verbs and stuff is different. Um, Do you remember what the one verb, the actual verb in, in this Great Commission is? Go. That's the verb. It's go. And so the rest of this really reads, as you're going... As you're going out into the world, as you're going on mission, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, all of these things are what they would consider kind of adverbs. They're adding back to the go. Go, and as you're going, do all of this. That's the mission. So how do we live out the Great Commission? That, that I, I think, tends to be the disconnect for a lot of people. They, they see this huge mission that's there, and they think, well, I can't do it all myself, and so what am I supposed to do with this? I don't, I don't understand how I can do this. Well, I think that we can each start by living out the great commandment. There's the great commission and the great commandment. Matthew 22, verses 36 to 39 says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus is saying here is love God and love people. That's what's important. And notice what he says in this verse. A second is of a little bit lesser importance. Like, you can love me, and if you get around to it, love your neighbor as yourself. Or like it's mostly important that you love me. If, if you, know, you have really difficult neighbors or if the people in your church family are, are, are really difficult and they don't want to do what you want them to do or you know, they, they tend to you know, rub you the wrong way, then you, know, you don't have to really worry about, worry about that. That's not what this verse says. A second is equally important. If we love God, we love people like we love God. See, many in the church have prioritized loving God, that becomes the most important. Loving God. It doesn't matter that we don't love our neighbors. It doesn't matter that we're not reaching out. It doesn't matter that we're not loving one another, that there are, are problems in infighting and people hate each other inside the church and so-and-so won't even talk to this other person and, and this, uh, this person won't, will not serve on a committee or, or, or in, in, a, in, a, in, in anything with that other person. We, we're okay with that. But man, the preaching's gotta be good. The Bible study's gotta be solid because we have to love God. And we kinda don't focus quite as much on the loving our neighbors. We've prioritized loving God, but neglected to truly love our neighbors. And before you disagree and say, well, that's not me, the reality is we cannot claim to love our neighbors if we know they are destined for hell and we do little to nothing about it. So you might not have any hatred toward anybody, but if we look around our community and we're not broken for the brokenness around us, if our heart doesn't ache for those that are still lost in the darkness of sin and and haven't experienced the freedom of a relationship with Christ and we don't do anything about it, we cannot claim to God, I love my neighbor as myself. Because we took the opportunity to experience and respond to the gospel. See, love for our neighbors would compel us to put every effort into ensuring they have multiple opportunities to respond to the gospel that's what love would do if you knew somebody was destined to die would you just like one time vaguely hint that they might want to do something about that especially if you knew how to fix the problem if if you knew what it was that could give them life no you would hound them constantly you would do what in, you'd be creative, you, you would help them see what, you know, your perspective, you would do what you can to help them. We would do that in this life, What we don't view eternity the same way sometimes. Love would compel us to action. Love would compel us to be disciple makers, as Jesus told us in the Great Commission, go and make disciples. That's the mission. By definition, to be a Christian is to be a disciple maker. And so I heard someone, again, talk about this recently, and they were talking how uh, for some of us, we think like, oh, you know, I've never been a disciple maker. That's incorrect. People have watched your life, and they've determined that's what it looks like to be a Christian. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus, and they are your disciple because they followed you now, some of those are non-Christians, and they've watched your behavior. Hopefully, uh, it wasn't bad, but I know in some instances, non-Christians watch our behavior and go, oh, that's, you just go to church on a Sunday? Like, I can do that, if that's what it means to love Jesus. We all make disciples. To represent the king is to be a disciple maker. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 also says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I love the you will statements here. Because it's not, well, now you have the option. You come to know me as your Savior and the options are before you. Live for yourself uh, or be a disciple maker. It says, no, when you know Jesus then you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be his witness. And so we constantly, if we're a believer, we witness by every action, every word that comes out of our mouth around especially unbelievers, we witness to them, this is what it looks like to follow the king. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Whether we want to or not, we tell them this is what it looks like. I hope that's a good thing for you. I hope that just by the way that you carry yourself, by the way that you talk, by the way that you interact, by the way that you refuse to gossip and refuse to engage in the activities of those around you, it says there's something different about this person. And it must be this thing. I know that they're a follower of Jesus and it must have something to do with that. You are a disciple maker. Do you view yourself that way? Would you accept that roll that title upon yourself this morning if you're a christian do you agree yes i am a disciple maker do you live as if your primary mission in life is to be a disciple maker do you each and every day wake up and think you know what i remember jesus said go he said go and make disciples baptizing them teaching them that's my job that's my mission that's why I'm still alive. Do your priorities reflect your identity as a disciple maker? My guess is for uh, some of us in this room, the answer is no to some of those questions. No, we rarely, if ever, think about ourselves as a disciple maker. No, we rarely, if ever, consider that to be our primary mission. We, if we get around to it and if we have extra time, we might do that. And certainly our priorities don't reflect that. Our priorities reflect that we have bills to pay and we got things to do and we got a kingdom to build. In my experience, few churchgoers acknowledge this truth. Many people, if they're honest, don't even know how to make a disciple. I've heard that. I've had that conversation. I don't know how to make a disciple. I don't even know what what I would do. How how, how would even go about that? Which explains why disciple-making seems to be such a daunting task for so many Christians. It's one thing for uh, the pastor to get up and say, we're disciple-makers. We're we're called to make disciples. And it's like, cool, I have no idea what that means. That's great to know that fact, but I have no idea what that means. Because it's hard to give away what you've never received. Many of us have never been discipled. We've never been intentionally discipled by another person, and so it's hard to give that away if you've never received it. I don't know if you ever had to train somebody at work and they ask you to train them on something that you have no idea what it is. You've never learned it yourself. It's pretty hard to train somebody in that, right, because we've never received it. For some, being a Christian is about staying inside of a certain box defined by shoulds and should nots and this has been my experience uh, entering the church world as somebody from outside that perspective, and it seems very strange. We've talked about this idea of a centered set versus a, a bounded set. The bounded set uh, idea mentality is to be a Christian means you should do all of these things, and you shouldn't do any of those. To be a Christian, to be a believer, to be a member at Dubois Boys Alliance Church, that's what it means. That's the bounded set, that says you have to fit within these lines. And if you step outside of these lines, you are no longer considered this. Or your primary role, focus, should be getting back inside of these lines, back inside of this box of shoulds and should nots. That's the bounded set. The centered set says this dot is Jesus. And the entire premise of all that we do should be to constantly draw closer to that dot. And one of the differences is in, this, in the bounded set, as long as you're within those lines, you can literally do nothing else and you're good. You can just park it in a pew for the rest of your life and everything will be good because you're inside the box. You fit the shoulds and should nots. The problem with the centered set is as soon as you stop moving toward the center, as soon as you stop journeying toward Jesus, you're in a, you're in a bad place. And the argument can easily be made if, if you're only a foot from the, from the center, if you're only a foot from Jesus, but you're not moving, and somebody else is a mile away, but they're running as fast as they can toward Jesus, they're in a better place because there's forward motion toward Jesus. And their life's going to look a whole lot different, man. They're, they're going to look really messed up, and they're going to look really broken, and they're going to look like they've got a lot of problems. But they're desperately running after Jesus. Whereas the other person in, in that analogy is just kind of sat there. They thought, I'm close enough to Jesus. I'm good. I, I, I've created a box around myself. I've done all the should and should nots. And now I can just relax and stay here until I die. And then Jesus will take me the rest of the way. And then I get to meet him. And I would argue, to my last breath, the bounded set said it's so wrong. It creates so many problems in the church. It's not about the shoulds and should nots. It's about every moment of every day continuing to journey toward Jesus, that we would always be moving forward toward Him. And if we find ourselves in a place that we shouldn't be, the point isn't to get back inside of the box. The, The point is to turn our eyes back toward Jesus and begin moving forward again. That's what repentance is. Repenting is repentance is turning away from sin, which is never the direction of Jesus, turning away from that, and when we turn around, there's Jesus, and we begin to journey back toward Him. And so all the guilt and the shame that we put on ourselves for for messing up and and, and tripping and falling, it's unnecessary. We should repent, ask forgiveness, acknowledge that I wasn't pointed toward Jesus, and we point ourselves back toward Him, and we begin to journey toward Him again. See, many of us don't know what that's like to have that mindset. And so therefore, once we've gotten inside the box, we thought we're good. And we thought making disciples is about calling other people to the box. Hey, come, come here. Well, you gotta stop doing that. You gotta stop doing that. Definitely don't do that. And you really should start doing this and you should start doing that. And then you can enter this box uh, we call Christianity. And then you can be one of us. Instead of learning uh, and journeying toward Jesus with someone else, and asking someone along the way, hey, it seems like you really know how to walk toward Jesus. Could you help me for a season? Could we maybe grab coffee, grab lunch, meet in the mornings, and I could learn a little bit about how I can journey toward Jesus, and you can speak into that a little bit. We can't make the Christian life about checking all the right boxes and not stepping outside of a prescribed list of rules and regulations. We must every day take steps toward Jesus. And as we journey toward him, God will put people along our journey. Some will walk with us for a season, giving guidance and advice as we journey toward Jesus. Others God will put in our path for us to give guidance and advice to as we journey. Because God uh, wants us to give away what we've gotten and so the Corinthians talks about like we suffer certain things so that we can pour that same, that same victory out for others who have not yet experienced that victory. We've hurt in certain ways so that we can speak into the lives of people uh, that are hurting in a similar way. We get to give out what we've been given. That's the beautiful part of being a believer. That's what discipleship is. It's giving out what we've been given as we journey toward Jesus. There, there's really not this like phenomenal science behind it. It's just in humility walking with others toward Jesus and giving out, pouring out what has been poured into us from Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a disciple maker. It's to be on mission, the mission of making disciples of all nations. See, many churches, uh, they have these things called mission statements, which is they're putting the general mission of Jesus uh, that Jesus gave us into their own words. So here's my unofficial attempt, a mission statement for us as a church. It's to ensure every man, woman, and child in the Dubois area has multiple opportunities to hear, experience, and respond to the gospel. What if this was our mission? As a church, we said, for me, to call this place home, this is what I will make my mission every morning, every afternoon, and every evening. I will live my life to accomplish this mission, to ensure every man, woman, and child in the Dubois area has multiple opportunities to not just hear the gospel, I'm not just gonna preach at them, they're gonna get to experience the gospel as I live out the gospel around them, and I'm gonna ensure that they have multiple opportunities to respond to the gospel and that doesn't mean you're going to invite them to church a bunch of times it means that you're going to live in community with them you're going to show them jesus by the way you live and that by nature will give them opportunities as they begin to pour out their brokenness to you and you say hey you know jesus can enter that right you know jesus wants to heal that can i pray with you real quick while we do that and they get opportunities to respond to the gospel. This is our mission. I'm not saying this is our official mission statement because we had to have more conversations if we're going to actually have an official mission statement. But I think it's a good start that we would give everybody around us multiple opportunities to hear, experience, and respond to the gospel. Is If each and every one of us accepted this as our mission in our lives, where we would live, whether it's in Dubois or Sandy or all the surrounding area, it would never be the same if we woke up every day and said, this is what I'm going to be about today. Yeah, I'm going to go to work. Yeah, I'm going to stay home with the kids. Yeah, I'm going to go to the grocery store. But while I do that, this is what I will be about. What would it look like for us to live out that mission? What would it look like for us to live that out? I ask that both in a general and a very specific sense. Do all of you immediately need to become uh, a missionary in another country? No. See, that's one of the things that I think just by some of the language we've used, we've created problems. We think of, we talked about Ben and Chelsea this morning. We think of them and we we say, um, many of us, if I asked you, would say, uh, if I asked you, do you believe that Ben and Chelsea were uniquely called to be missionaries? Yeah, yeah, I believe that, I believe that. They weren't. They were called, as we all are, to be missionaries, but their unique calling was to do it in a different culture. See, they're just doing what we're all called to do. They're just doing it in another culture. We're all called to be missionaries. We are all called to take the mission of Jesus and to tell people about him. That's what they're there for. That's why they're in West Africa, is to tell people about Jesus. Jesus to love them, to live in community with them, to rub shoulders with people who don't know him, to give them multiple opportunities to hear, experience, and respond to the gospel. They were just called to do that in another culture. That's what's unique about their calling. What's unique about your calling? How has God uniquely called you to live out this mission? Some of you, I know at least one person in the room was called to do this in another culture and has done that. Maybe that's your unique calling. I don't know. I would guess anybody else uniquely called to be a pastor and speak every Sunday or every other Sunday? I'm just throwing that out there. No? Okay. No, it's not your calling either, so it shouldn't look like the way I live out my calling. Each of us, though, has a unique calling. I believe this is explained as we look into what uh, the Bible says about our individual callings that God has given each and every one of us. Looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Pause. We're going to do like a a wedding thing. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Anybody disagree with this statement? That you have been called. Speak now or forever hold your peace. You have been called by God. God. That's a truth statement from the Scriptures. This wasn't just for the Ephesian people, or it wouldn't be in the Bible. This is for us. This is for all believers. Live a life. He's saying, I'm begging you to lead a life worthy of the calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, pause again, however, notice the train of thought here. Paul's saying there's, there's one call, there's one God, there's one faith, there's one baptism. This is all about being united. We should be united in mission. and Everything should be of oneness. However, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. We're all to be unified, but he's making it very clear it's not going to look the same for all of us. And we shouldn't feel shame because my calling doesn't look like their calling. One of the things that just happens, because we're the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we can look at somebody like a, a Ben and Chelsea or, or, or the, uh, the Fugates and, and think like, oh, they have they have a special calling. They're superstars. And their calling is no more unique than yours. No more special. It might look cooler because they're going somewhere else and we could talk about it and we have conferences about it and we bring them in and, and all of these things. But man, their calling isn't more important than yours. Their mission field is different, but it's no more important than any one person here. You could step foot into heaven someday and receive crowns just as much as anybody else who's in another culture. We have opportunities to live out the mission right here. Anybody not know anybody that's, that's not a Christian? Like everybody in, in all areas of your influence, everybody knows Jesus? Okay, so we all know non-believers. We all have mission fields. They probably don't look like they do in West Africa. Du Bois itself is like 98 point something white Caucasian, so welcome uh, to your mission field. There are people that are very similar to you but he's given each and every one of us special gifts through the generosity of Christ. Notice here in that that passage, Paul's saying, I'm begging you to live a life worthy of your individual callings. Be humble, gentle, and patient with each other. This is for the church. This is how we should interact with every single person. There are people in this church, and you're probably sitting near them, that you like. You actually do genuinely like them. How hard is it to be humble, gentle, and patient with them? Other than your spouse, <laughs> most of the time our friends were like, "Yeah, you know what? It's it's pretty easy to be humble and gentle with them. We're, we're good friends. I I can I can make fun of my friends, and they make fun of me, and we have a good time. And you know, and we just we can gather together, and we can be patient with each other and their faults. Our spouses, you know, we're called to be patient with them and humble." It can be a little bit more difficult because we spend so much time with them. But I think these words are for those people we really don't like. These are for the people that we just don't see eye to eye. Our personalities are so drastically different. People that have hurt us, wronged us, and done things intentionally to be mean to us. Paul is saying be humble, gentle, and patient with each other. Make every effort to be united In the spirit. This doesn't say make as many effort as much effort as you can until you're just sick of doing it. Every effort, if you've still got breath, you've still got effort to be united in the spirit. There should be a unity among us as we all live out the general calling God has for us. But as Paul points out here in verse 7, each of us has been given a special gift and therefore a unique way to accomplish the mission of the church, which is our unique individual callings. As as Paul later points out in that chapter, if you have your own Bibles open, jump down to verse 11. If not, just look at the screen. Verse 11 to 13. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Now pause again. If you've never done this test, there's a, there, there's a little assessment called the fivefold assessment, and it basically rates you on like where you're called on this. Some people believe these are the five main callings of Christians. That each of us falls into one of these areas to be an apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, or the teacher, and that's where they believe. So if if you're interested, if you're one of those people that likes assessments, you can do that assessment. But he's saying, now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. How many of us believe that we at Du Bois Alliance have measured up to the full and complete standard of Christ and we are good, no more work is necessary? Okay, so we're, all in agreement. we're doing this unity thing really good today. We're all in agreement on so many of these things, that's so wonderful. Every believer has been given a gift. Those gifts, as verse 12 stated, the responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. There's two statements here. Sometimes we can read this as one statement, that to do God's work is to build up the church. It's to do God's work and to build up the church. Why did Jesus come to this earth? He had a message, right? He had a purpose to come, and one of the, he spent a lot of time talking about one thing, the kingdom of God, and telling people that they can be reconciled to God that he came as the mediator. That was his work. His work was to spread the gospel, to spread this good news, to light this fire that would never go out. And he brought disciples along with him, not just 12, but more than 12. He had a lot of disciples. He really focused in on the 12 and then the three. But he had a lot of disciples, and he challenged them, commissioned them to continue his work, which was to go and make disciples. So the responsibility we have, and by we, I mean you and you and you and you and you, every single person here, the responsibility we have with our giftedness is to use our gifts to reach the lost and build up the church. That's why we've been gifted. That's why you have unique gifts, unique callings. And they are every bit as important and special as the greatest christian you can think of your calling is just as important and special because god gave it to you anybody else believe that god makes mistakes man we are doing so good at this today or you're just all asleep god doesn't make mistakes he has created you he has gifted you empowered you in the exact way that he wants you to be called he has given you certain gifts. and As we know from the parable of the talents, we're called to be faithful with those gifts. Not squander them, not bury them, but to use them, to invest them in the mission God has called us to do. And when we do, and imagine we, we, the elders, we met and prayed this morning, we do every Sunday. And as we were talking this morning and, and getting a little excited about what, what, would, this, what would it look like we said if 25% of the church believed this and said you know what that mission statement it's my mission statement my individual callings i'm living it out to the best of my ability what would it look what would it look like if 50% and i i told them i'm not asking for that i want 100% i want every single person that calls this place home to accept the mission, the general mission that God has given us, and then their individual calling, the way that God has called them to live out that mission, to reach the lost and build up the church. And when we all are deployed in that capacity, man, this town won't be the same. This state won't be the same. The world will change. If one church was willing to say, you know what? Every single one of us, everybody who calls this place home, we're doing it. We're going to search out, we're going to figure out what our individual callings are. We're not going to rest until we know how God has equipped each of us. We're going to pray, we're going to seek the face of God, we're going to weep on our faces until we know how God has called us, and then we're going to continue in that posture as we begin to live out this mission God has given us, each and every one of us. So how are you doing on mission? How are you doing at reaching the lost? in building up the church? How is this week gone for you in that realm, in that mission that you have? In what ways are you deploying your giftedness to reach the lost? Currently, actively, what ways are you doing that? In what ways are you deploying your giftedness to build up the church? Are you on mission? Or have you accepted the lie that the church is to be more like a cruise ship? that you know what, I put in my work, I put in my time, I'm on vacation now. It's my time to rest. Have you abandoned the mission of Christ for a life of comfortability? Have you stopped advancing his kingdom to further advance your kingdom with a lot of IOUs? Lord, you understand, I gotta build my kingdom for a season. It's my time to build my kingdom. And and you'll get yours. I promise one of these days, I'll have enough money. I'll have enough resources. Everything will be just perfectly aligned. And then I can begin to build your kingdom again. You can try to treat a battleship like a cruise ship. You could join the Navy and and get on board and try to treat it like a cruise ship. Though you'd probably find you were frequently dissatisfied with the level of service that you were receiving and that you were angry that everybody around you wasn't doing what you want and serving you to your satisfaction. You might even bounce around to different ships, trying to find the right one to meet all of your preferences just the way that you want, that they would do everything just how you want them to do it. But if you ever felt comfortable on a ship, you'd be on a cruise ship, not a battleship. Unless, by comfortable, you mean... I'm surrounded by people and we share the same mission. And man, it feels good to be around people who are on mission together. And as we engage in this mission, man, it stinks and some days are hard and some days uh, we cry and we've lost a couple people and things haven't gone our way and it's been really, uh, I've had to wake up early, I've had to spend nights where I didn't get any sleep, but man, is it sweet to be around people as we engage in a mission together. We are people on mission mission. Let's be a people on mission together, using our gifts to reach the lost and build up the church. Let's accomplish the mission to ensure every man, woman, and child in the Dubois area has multiple opportunities to hear, experience, and respond to the gospel in our individual, unique callings. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the ways you have gifted me. Lord, I don't deserve to be up in front of people talking. I don't deserve to have any type of leadership responsibilities. Who am I? But I accept this is my calling. And Lord, I pray that I would live out my calling with every ounce of my being. Holy Spirit, would I stay dependent upon you And would each of us grow in our dependency upon you, Holy Spirit, as we begin or continue to engage in our personal callings, in the missions you've given us? Would we not settle for just volunteerism or random service? Would we only accept living out your call on our life with every ounce of our being. Would your mission become our mission? Would we be a family that lives on mission together? Would you give us the privilege to engage men, women, and children who don't know you and give them multiple opportunities to hear, experience, and respond to the good news of you, to your message? of reconciliation and freedom? Would we cast off the pleasurable experiences of this life, living for ourselves and building our kingdoms? They're so useless. They feel good for a moment. But would we engage in eternal work and therefore be fed by living out your calling on our life? As you said, that's your food. Lord, I pray we would be a people on mission, that we would reawaken to the mission of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, I pray that we are people on mission this week. And for those of you that I emailed about a special meeting, we're gonna have that meeting in room 101, okay? So I didn't communicate that via email. Have a great week.